Hello and welcome to the Praise Center Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, visit PraiseCenterOnline.com. Are you ready to get in God's Word today? I'm excited to preach once again from the book of Colossians. So please open your Bibles to the book of Colossians and chapter 1. We'll start with verse 24 in just a moment. We are continuing now in our third week of a series called Focus from the book of Colossians. And just again to remind you, we're focusing on first and foremost on Jesus Christ. That is really what Colossians is doing. It's helping us to get a focus on the Lord Jesus. And, uh, but that results, I hope, in us intensifying our worship because as we get to know him better and as we focus on him, it just kind of flows out of us, doesn't it, to become worshipers of God. And then the second aspect of focus is believing. And it's funny because... Uh, uh, I've just had experiences lately, one in Thailand in particular, where uh, Abraham and I were on this boat in, in this just most beautiful place out in Thailand. This, we took two days of vacation at the end of our mission trip. And we're, we're on this boat and we're moving along through this, this place where the scenery is just other world you feel like you just went to a different planet it is so weird and beautiful and and just everything you the sky there's clouds but it's it's sunny and it's just a great day and I, I for some reason in a moment I don't know if it was just the Lord kind of had me look around but there were all these people in this boat and we're traveling through the, the waters and I look around and half of the people were looking at their phones are you hearing what I'm saying? So it is amazing in our culture today how distracted we get. And, and I believe this really is harmful to us as believers because we lose focus on the things that matter. Right? And so it's saying, God, and so, so can I just say that for us, focus also means we're getting, getting rid of the distractions and getting focused. And one of the best ways to do that is through intensifying our prayer and devotion to God. Amen? So... I want to break down our text today into three sections, and so if you have your Bibles, make sure they're open. Uh, if you're using an electronic device, you'll be able to see what I'm talking about. But there are, there's three sections. There's a, a first section, a second, and a third. The, the first and third are, are very much alike, with, and they're parenthetical. In other words, they speak to what's happening in the middle section. I'm going to save the middle two verses towards the end of my message today, but I want us to, to start out reflecting on both verse 24 and verse 1 of chapter 2. So my text spans uh, from the end of chapter 1 through five verses in chapter 2. I want to also tell you that when the Bible was written originally, that uh, verses and chapters weren't there. And, and it's helpful for us to find things, but it's also distracting at times to, we lose, we think because there's a new chapter that a new subject has started and it just wasn't written that way. This was a, a letter written to the people of Colossae and Paul did not mean for chapter 2 per, per se to start where it did. So I want you to see all of this as, as one one connected thought, but these, these two sections with a parenthetical uh, feeling toward what's happening in the middle. But first, let's look at the beginning of the two sections, which is verse 24 and verse 1. Let me read those verses first. This is Paul. I want you to see how com there are things in common between both verse 24 and 1. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, which is the church. So he's talking about, I'm, I'm struggling, I'm, I'm suffering, and I'm doing this for you. Now verse 1 of chapter 2. I want you to know how hard I'm contending for you and those in Laodicea, which is a nearby city, and all those who have not met me personally. Do you see the commonality between these two? Right? Hello? Do you? Okay. 
Just got to pay attention. It's like 30 minutes. Just stay with me. So, so <laughs> are you looking at your phone right now? I just wanted to know. I'm just kidding. All right. So, so both sections talk about a struggle or a contending going on, something he's working hard at. And both sections also mention, uh, as we get into this, we're going to see that both sections that he, he prefaced with the struggle, he now will talk about a mystery. So watch this. We're going to read verses 25 through 27 to start. He says, I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. The mystery. Everybody say mystery. That has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Hallelujah. Now, skip to verse 2. Let's read through verse 5 and notice again the connection between these sections where he's talking about similar things. He says, My goal is that they be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery. Say mystery again. Mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures Here's that idea again, treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I, pres I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So again, I'm going to save those two middle verses for later because they're the key, I believe, to understanding both Paul's struggle and the mystery. So my title today is The Struggle is Real. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for uh, being with us in our worship today and our, our fellowship and hanging out. Thank you for the praise reports of the way you're working in people's lives. I even heard people say things today that they didn't fill out a praise report, Lord, but, but I heard some good news today. So help us to continue to spread that good news of your work in our lives, Lord. We praise you for this opportunity to be in your word, and now we look forward to God learning from you in this. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. 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 All right. So um, last Monday night, uh, Ron and I were sitting at home watching a little TV, and our oldest son, Andrew, called us. He was home with the, with the four boys, uh, uh, and his wife, Sarah, had gone off to, she was working on a podcast with some friends of hers. They're doing some kind of, I, I'm interested to start listening to it when they get it rolling. It uh, sounds very interesting. But anyway, so I, I, he was alone with the four boys, and their uh, second son, Gibson, who I think is six or seven, Rhonda knows all this stuff. I'm just a grandpa. I don't know stuff. But, but anyway, he's, I think he's six. So, <laughs> so Gibson... Um, he had had a fever, but Andrew checked him, and it was at 106, which is not good, right? Everybody agrees. So he's trying to cool him down, cool him down, and do everything you do as a parent, and it's not working. And so he starts to get a little bit, and Sarah's been gone for a little while now. So he decides to call Sarah to let her know maybe she needs to come home. We might need to want to take him to the emergency room. This isn't good. So she, he goes to call her when he does. The, how many realized Verizon phones were down last Monday night? Oh, man. Isn't that funny how we got to rely on these things? And all of a sudden, and I'm going through my mind, dang, we got rid of our landline like five years ago. Well, Andrew, was, his Wi-Fi was still up, and so he was able to contact us through a Wi-Fi call and FaceTime with us because we have uh, Apple phones. And so he was able to call us, and he said, will you try to call Sarah from there? Maybe it's you know, just in Ellensburg, and, but you'll be able to get through. And we tried, and it was just nothing. You know, We couldn't get through. And it, you know, all of a sudden, you're going... 
is this for real? Like, <laughs> you know, you, you trying to get a hold. We've got, haven't we become accustomed to getting a hold of everybody when we want to? My kids don't even understand. When you talk about the struggle is real, when we used to leave kids with babysitters, you just left. You just walked away and hoped for the best. You just did. And we'd go, we would drive from, El we lived in Ellensburg. We would drive down to Yakima and go to a movie theater. And the babysitter was just like, I hope it all works out for you because there's just no way to get a hold of us, right? So, so quit whining, parents. Come on. You get, <laughs> go out on date nights and give them your cell phone. You're just, in, in Wenatchee, you're no more than 10 minutes away ever. So go on date nights, people. All right. So, well, anyway, we're trying to get a hold of Sarah and all that. And um, uh, long story short, Andrew went and grabbed a neighbor that he knew. And he said, would you please come over, watch my other uh, three boys while I go and find where my wife is, drive there with Gibson. And then, so that all worked out. They took Gibson in. Uh, when he got there, his fever had already come down. I thank God for that because we were praying for him at that point. And by the time he got to the hospital, it was actually only 101, which is thank you, Lord. And so he was doing much better. They gave him some, some stuff. I don't know what they gave him, some, some medicine or whatever. And they also helped cool him down a little more, and he was doing great. So it all worked out. Gibson was fine. But again, we get so used to technology, and, and we're so used to the idea that when it doesn't work, we're baffled by it. <laughs> and uh, I, heard, I heard this story once about somebody who was on an escalator, okay? And midway up on the escalator, the escalator, the power went out and it stopped working. And they just stood there because they didn't know what to do. <laughs> Struggle is real, people. Now, that could be urban legend, right? I, I don't know. If that, I heard the story somewhere. It may have been a joke. But this, this story I'm telling you I know is true because it, it was a friend of my wife's. She called my wife and she was talking about the fact that her electric toothbrush had stopped working. And she didn't know what she was going to do about brushing her teeth. And Rhonda said, well, you could just, <laughs> you know, stick. The struggle is real, people. I, saw, I just saw this little meme. I have to show it to you with a T-Rex here. You know, think about these poor guys. They didn't have little, they had tiny little arms. <laughs> you want to eat a burger? No. So struggle is real. All right. So <laughs> let's move away from that. In our passage today, uh, and I'm joking about some of these things, but, but there is a real struggle, there's a great struggle taking place that, that for Paul includes suffering, which probably, we know for sure it includes imprisonment because he's writing this from prison, but, but before you go to prison, often there are beatings that usually take place with rods and or being whipped uh, much the way Jesus was whipped with things that would lay open your back and things like that. There's all kinds of ways that, that punishment was doled out, including being in, in prison, believe me, did not include a soft bed and warm temperatures. Normally these were in caves and it was cold and damp and not any way to get warm. They didn't build a fire for you. So, so we're talking about some pretty miserable situations if, uh, that Paul was probably in. And so he begins to talk about, about the... He begins, I think, in, in uh, verse uh, 1 of chapter 2, he's, he talks about a different word. Initially, he's, I believe he's talking about a physical struggle that he's gone through for them. I'm contending for you. I'm, I'm, I'm in the fray for you here. But in chapter 2, he uses a different word, contending, which is it's more of a struggle that, that he is uh, waging emotionally, if you will, and spiritually. You know, in, later in, uh, I think it's in 1 
1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul goes through a litany of all the horrible things he's been through. I've been shipwrecked twice, uh, spent a night and day in the open sea. He says, I've been beaten with rods three times. I've been, I've gone, I've been whipped. I've been, uh, he was, once Paul was literally, they stoned him. And the, we don't know for sure. It doesn't say that he raised from the, was raised from the dead. But they left him for dead. The disciples gathered around him. And the next thing you know, he gets up and walks away. I don't know, you know, there's probably more to that story we'll hear about when we get to heaven. But he went through a tremendous amount of things. And he gets to the end of that long list of all the horrible physical struggle he's gone through and he says and besides all that i have the the weight day and night of the church on top of me and i almost hear him saying sometimes i'd rather be beaten than sometimes the weight i feel emotionally you understand what i'm saying that he feels and i I, there's a part of me as a pastor i get that i understand that there's a there's a weight that comes with a responsibility with a with a congregation that that i i'm not complaining i'm just simply stating it's out there it's real and uh it's why only one in ten pastors will actually retire as a pastor. Okay, you understand what I'm saying? Because there's such a weight of responsibility that is, goes beyond just the preaching of sermons. And, and that, that's the easy part, believe me. But it's, it's caring and, carrying and caring for the souls of people entrusted to your care that it means the most and it's the hardest part so so just being real so so paul is struggling and he talks about this mystery that needs to be solved in all of this and he said he 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 talks about that this mystery includes spiritual uh glorious riches and treasures that are hidden so so he has a treasure he's struggling to bring it to them and he gives us a great clue and the answer he really says is two things in the first uh section we read he said the answer was christ the mystery is christ remember that and then in the other one, he said, it's Christ in you. Uh, but, but what we don't understand so far is how to obtain the treasure that, he's, that, that, that Paul is talking about. And by his own admission, Paul will say many places he worked harder than anyone else. He worked harder. He, he worked harder in preaching and teaching and making disciples of Christ. He went on to say something remarkable that I think we're mostly afraid to say uh, because Jesus initially when he called his disciples, what did he say? He said, follow me, right? And Paul had the, the, he worked so hard and he was so committed to the Lord. He boldly said, follow me as I, what? Follow Christ. Now, of course, that's good that he added that because you don't want to make, you don't want to just follow Paul because it's all about Jesus. But imagine the boldness to be able to say that to somebody. Look, you can look at my life. Follow me as I follow Christ. And so we hope to all be living like that. But that's a pretty bold statement for someone to make. And so, so then, then how can we become the kind of disciple that can make that kind of a bold statement? Paul says it's a mystery. But he gives us the answer right here. He's saying, I'm a hardworking man of God. I'm here to present everyone, listen to this, perfect in Christ. <laughs> Just stop and think about that for a moment. I'm gonna, my goal is to present everyone perfect in Christ. Do you know how hard that is? <laughs> right? Because I, like, I can preach my guts out week after week, and then I'm standing there listening to some people talking who have been in the church for years, and they'll say the exact opposite of something I've been teaching here for years, and I'm going, Lord, help me. I'm trying to present, you know what I'm saying? I'm trying to present good doctrine, and yet I hear sometimes, not always, and some, many, many times, though, I hear people say things, and they'll just say things, and it's like, that's it. You learned it. You got that. That's awesome. And we want that. But presenting people perfect in Christ, that's a big deal. And I, I appreciate Paul's uh, goal, but man, that's tough. 
So the idea of discipling people and presenting people perfect in Christ is definitely filled with challenge and hard work for sure. What's the key? I'll tell you in a minute, but first let me talk more about the mystery, if you'll let me. Uh, he says again in, in verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 2, he says it's Christ. And, but that doesn't really clear it up, does it? That just sort of like lays this thing out there. Mystery is Christ. I, I, I don't get it still. And then he goes and he, back in chapter 27 of verse, uh, verse 27, chapter 1, he said the mystery is Christ in you. That helps a little, but it still isn't completely clear, is it? Let me, that is, so to me, there's almost still more mystery inc included in this. Let me try my best to get this, get this out. When God created mankind, he had the desire to be our God and that we would be his people, and that's it. And it's amazing to me, as I, as I was studying this week, as I'm doing the defined homework, that that particular phrase was in our defined homework, that that's what God desired. I think it was day three. I don't remember exactly. But, but you would almost think that the Holy Spirit was after something in our hearts, right? <laughs> and so... Our fellowship with God in the garden was perfect. It was unbroken and sweet. Absolutely wonderful. We talked about this last week. And his provision for us in that garden was everything we needed for life and even eternal life because we not only do we have the fruit of the trees that were beautiful and good for food and, uh, but uh, that would sustain us physically, but he also put a tree in the garden called the tree of life, right? And at that tree of life, we could go and receive... Uh, sustenance that went beyond the physical and would have uh, kept us alive forever okay you with me and by the way that tree got uprooted from that garden is now planted in heaven and when we get there we'll be able to partake of that tree and we'll that's part of living forever Do you understand it's amazing so so but then as we talked about it last week sin entered the situation and it broke everything. It, it just busted everything up. God had to banish humans from the garden, and he sets angelic guards with flaming swords at the, at the gate of the garden so that no one could get in, and that in our sin, because if, if, if continuing to be in sin, if we'd have had access to that tree of life, we could have lived forever in our sin. That's no way to live, right? Look what sin has done to this planet. Nobody wants that to go on forever. So God had to stop us from being able to get back to that garden. And from that point on, we were banished, if you will, from the very presence of God. So then, so then now through the whole Old Testament, what we have is the story of mankind getting back to God, getting back to the presence of God. And, and, uh, and so God has this desire to still be in, in fellowship with us and be in communion with us. He still loves us, but we, we sinned, we broke it. When we start to see glimmers of hope, when we get to the story of Moses, and, and God begins to describe to him up on the mountain, hey, here's my commandments. You follow these commandments, and then I'm, gonna, I'm also going to show you, and we've been reading this in our devotions lately too. It's amazing how this all fits together, but there's this tabernacle you're going to build, and I'm going to dwell in that place. And so we start to get this glimmer of hope. Oh, there's a possibility of being back in the presence of God. And so while he's up on the mountain getting all this stuff from God and getting the commandments, the Ten Commandments from God included, he starts to come down the mountain, he gets to the bottom, they're breaking all ten of them already. Remember? So, so of course, 
this isn't happening. So the, the, anyway, but eventually the tabernacle is built and the cloud of God's presence, it said, he says in the, in the Bible, I will dwell in that cloud in the Holy of Holies. That was the furthest spot back. There's, there were divisions in this tabernacle. There's an outer court where, where priests could come and stuff. And then there was just the holy place where the bread and, was kept and the lamp was kept and the, the altar of incense was kept. And then there was just one more little part in the back of the tent that, that, uh, that had just the, the Ark of the Covenant and the cloud of God's glory came right down and rested right there. The presence of God was, I mean, from the camp you could see the cloud, but you really couldn't be in the presence of God still because sin had separated us from God's presence. So, so, so he sets this up, but, and we look at it and we think, man, that's great, but there's a problem with it all. The sacrificial system is set up, and we try to keep the rules, but sin keeps keeping us from God's presence. And so, so what we had to do back then was sacrifice innocent animals and and spill their blood and burn their bodies because the Bible tells us without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. But then we find out, even though we've been doing that, ultimately we find out that that, that that isn't really taking care of things because it says that it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. So we're stuck. We're still stuck. The truth be told, we wanted to get back into the presence of God, but under the law, technically only one person the high priest, was able to go past that veil, past that, that last barrier into the presence of God. And he could only do that one time a year after many sacrifices had taken place. And he got himself as clean. And they, they said that the, the priest had to put these bells on his robe. You say, well, that's nice to have a little jingly sound. No, it was so they would know. If when he got into the presence of God, that he had died in God's presence because he wasn't ready he, you understand that the sacri- he hadn't done it right? And so if the, if the bells stopped ringing, they knew he was dead. And, and though the Bible doesn't discuss this, there's a Jewish tradition that they would also tie a rope around his ankle so that if he died in the presence of God, they could pull him back out because nobody else could go in there. That doesn't sound like a solution to me. Does it sound like one to you? No, how are we going to get back to God's presence? This isn't the relationship that God wanted with us. That isn't what he wanted when he created us. He wanted to be face-to-face with us. So the mystery is, that, is wrapped up in the idea that this hope that God had for us is, and really, truly, our ho- only hope for eternal life was impossible, but he was going to have a solution for it. How could it be fixed? Enter Jesus Christ. That's why when Paul is talking, he says, the mystery, which is Christ. Okay? The mystery is Christ. Because He's the answer to the mystery. He's the answer. And more specifically, Christ in you. That's the hope of glory. That's the hope of entering into the glorious presence of God. That's what we're after. And so, so why is this a mystery? Because it's impossible for God to be in the same room as a sinful person because we wouldn't survive the encounter. God isn't changed by it. We would be destroyed because we can't be in the presence of God when it's not like he can't be in the presence of sin. It's like sin can't be in the presence of God. That's what we need to understand. It wouldn't work. It wouldn't happen. It can't happen because he's holy. So Christ is the answer because through his death and his burial and his resurrection from the dead, when we believe in him, as the Bible says, then it becomes Christ in us, the hope of glory. Now we can be in direct contact with God once again because our sins are completely forgiven. In that moment, that should make a few people go hallelujah right now. There should be a little cry of woo 
right? There should be something that we recognize this is amazing because our sins have been completely forgiven through the cross. Completely. And not only is God in us, but by the Holy Spirit, now we are told that we can also approach, here it is on the screen, approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace in our time and here. Do you understand? We can come right into the very holy of holies, the throne of God, the presence of God, face to face with God, spiritually speaking, that we can do that confidently because of what Christ has done for us. And then also Hebrews 10, 19 tells us that therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. Remember, the high priest was the only one that could do that only once a year. Now all of us can go in there freely every single moment of every single day. And so we're starting to see that the mystery is getting solved here. But there's this other thing that, we're, that and, and I, honestly, you're getting a two-for-one sermon today because I was I, right in the middle of the week I thought, I probably should divide this into a part one and part two, and that would be good. Right? How many want to go home right now? You ready to go? Oh, good. Thank you. I don't know what I'd have done if you'd all raised your hand at that moment. <laughs> I, would have, I would have prayed and dismissed, I guess, and sent you home. So if you were secretly wishing you had raised your hand, maybe next time you'll get a chance. But anyway, let, let me go a bit further, if you would indulge me just a moment, because, because I feel like that, that we've got this mystery... Um, that's there, but, but I still don't feel like we've quite answered the problem. Why, why then, if we're in the throne of God, and what is, what is Paul struggling about? What is this struggle about? Why is he struggling, right? It sounds like it's pretty straightforward, but, I, but we need to see this other side of this thing. Let me approach this a little differently. Rhonda likes to do puzzles. I do not. There's things we do together. That's not one of them. But every once in a while, I'll walk past her. She'll have this big puzzle laid out on the table. And I'll look intently at the puzzle for a few minutes, you know, just looking at the picture and looking at all the pieces. And I, I don't know why I do this, but I'll, I'll, I'll see a, a, a thing that where I can see it is missing in her puzzle, and I'll see a spot, and I'll know what colors it needs to be, and I'll find the piece. I, 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 you know, I know that's the piece. I can tell by the shapes and the colors. And so I'll pick it up. And I'll set it right in the middle of her puzzle, not connected to anything. And I'll say, this one's going to go right here. And then she'll look, up me like I, look up at me like I'm a potato or something and just say, she just lets out this sound like, you know, get away from me, leave me alone. You're no help to me, right? So, so that, you know, so, but, but the mystery of this relationship with God getting fixed is really a puzzle. In the Old Testament, there's many, many pieces, and the answer is there. And, and we're saying, what is all this stuff about the Leviticus and reading through? Man, how many find that just like, wow, that is tough reading. But what you have to understand is every one of those verses and every one of those descriptions, everything God's doing in the Old Testament are all these puzzle pieces. And, and if, you, if you can pick them up and start putting them in the right place, a picture begins to form. And then in Isaiah 53, it starts to get really clear. Right? Have you read Isaiah 53, where, where I, he describes the suffering servant? The, and he does, obviously, it's 700 years before Christ comes, and, and Isaiah says he was bruised and uh, uh, afflicted. He, he was led as a lamb to the slaughter, yet he didn't open up his mouth. This is 700 years before Christ. And he says, and, and he, he, says he was lifted up. He's, his side was pierced. 
You know, all these descriptions, 700 years before the cross took place, and Isaiah saw it just about as clear as you could see it. And so the, the puzzle, you start to see the puzzle pieces coming together. You start to see the image of what's happening, but it's still not com completely clear, so much so that even when Jesus died on the cross, many of the Jews still didn't get it. They didn't get it. They didn't put the puzzle together at that point. But, but then, by God's grace, the revelation started to come. And, and so we, we, we start to see all the pieces of the puzzle come together. How do we get there? How do we get others there to that place of understanding? How do we get through the struggles of life? Part of the mystery has been solved, our relationship with God. But that's only part of what He's made us to be. You've got to understand that when we were in the garden, the relationship with God was part of of what mankind's, um, uh, what we were made for was this relationship with God. But that wasn't all there was to it. Remember, he, even before the fall, he told, he put Adam in the garden to work it. You hear the word work? So some people think work is a sinful word. It's not. You know, as actually, and you've all had this, you've had times when something you do, your work, you feel good about your work. Now there's, in our end of it now past the fall there's uh, labor in it that's hard there's thorns and thistles we're dealing with so to speak that make work sometimes toil but there is something good about working hard getting a job done right we all get that and that God God gave us that and he put us in the garden to work the garden it wasn't it wasn't thorny it wasn't hard it was it probably put a sweat on his brow but I'll tell you it was at the end of the day Adam would go yeah I got that and then he said to them as a couple, he said, now also be fruitful and multiply. So there was more that he wanted them to do than just sit in his presence all day. Not that that would be bad, but his, his presence was always there. But the fact is he had work for them to do. So here comes this missing puzzle piece. Our key in the middle of the struggle and the mystery is this. It comes to this verse now that I told you I would save till the end. And this is, this is Colossians 1, 28 and 29. Speaking of Jesus, it says, He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. Here's the real thing. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. The older NIV version said, To this end I labor, struggling with all His energy which works so powerfully in me. This, I, I, I like that. I, I, this, this is... If you will, Christ in you is the mystery, but the ramifications of the mystery is now this. It's, it, it, it's, it's the, the fulfillment of that. Let me, let me just do a quick illustration here. I've worn this kind of illustration out many times. Ooh, let's stand on power cords and make buzz noises too. No, that's fun. Don't do that. Okay, sorry. All right, so here we have a, a, a cordless drill that can do a lot of work, Right? But, but, but right now, I can squeeze this trigger all day, and I'm not going to get a lot of work done. I'm not even sure that even if I was to, I could probably screw in a screw or unscrew a screw with this, but it would be so much work because I'd have to hold on to it and twist the whole thing, you understand, right? So, so when the power source is, is put in and plugged into the drill, then there's plenty of power to do what needs to be done. Are you with me? Okay, God is the power source. He's the battery, so to speak, in the life of every believer. We can't do really anything of any value without God. But, but with Him, we have power, we have abilities, we have all kinds of things. Now listen, this is, this is, 
you might think blasphemy, but hang on for a moment. Because the fact of the matter is, is that just so surely as we cannot do anything without God, God will not do things without us. It's His power, but there is man's effort has to happen. I can plug God into mankind, but what has to happen for it to transmit into work happening? Somebody has to pull the trigger. Do you see God here pulling the trigger? Okay, who's pulling the trigger? We are. And when I pull that trigger, the power of God flows through me to get the work done. Okay? This is what Paul's talking about. He says, to this end I labor, struggling with all his energy, which works so powerfully in me. So, so he's going after it with God. You, you know, there's an old saying that goes back to the early church fathers, and it's attributed to St. Augustine, but many have repeated it. And it says it this way, without God we cannot, without us God will not. Trust me when I tell you, that is true. That is very true. It isn't a Scripture verse, but it's borne out in Scripture. It is absolutely the truth of Scripture. That God has created this partnership between Himself and us, where what needs to be done on planet Earth, it's going to require all His power, but the struggle on our side to get it done is going to be up to us. Are you with me? Worship team, come on back up. Was that extra worth it to you? Okay. All right. Thank you for being nice to me. All right, got a little bit more. This is my conclusion. It's a little lengthy, but I'm going to wrap it up. I'm going to land this plane. Now that our relationship with God is restored, it's time for us to get busy. Not in our own strength. That's where we would make this. Listen, it does not take much effort on my part. Right? Okay? Not much going on there on my part, releasing a tremendous amount of power on God's part. So it doesn't take much, but we've got to... We gotta pull the trigger. <laughs> you know, we gotta do that. It's our part. And if we don't do it, God is God is hampered. He cannot do what he wants to do in this earth. And that's why we talk about missions offerings and prayer and all these other things that need to take place, because all of that is pulling the trigger. All of that is doing the work and going after things and teaching each other and helping in the church and whatever we do in our community. All this stuff is related. And if we don't go out and do that or come in here and do what God has called us to do, we will not be able to see anything of God's power released around the earth. There's no problem with the power source. It takes something that's going to release it on, on this end. In our modern world, we have, we have all these energy sources to keep things going. Even, even here, we live in what's called the belt buckle of the hydroelectric power, you know what I'm saying, right? It's all right around us. And none of us think a thing every morning when we get up and, and walk bleary-eyed into the kitchen to start our coffee and praise god mine's on a timer so my thing's already hot when i get up and it, i use that little k-cup thing i'm, I'm just I, i'm sorry for i'm destroying the planet by using plastic and stuff but but man that feels good to in about 40 seconds have a cup of hot coffee i'm just gonna say so god help us right but so someday they'll invent biodegradable plastic i'm sure okay why did i go on to that i have no idea so, but none of us thinks a thing about it when we go in and flip on that switch in the kitchen and the lights come on, right? In our modern world, that's just become like matter of fact. That's just going to do it. And, and so we, we give no thought that when we turn on the tap and we want hot water that in my house, that's going to take you about a minute, but in other places it might come quicker. But don't you thank God for hot water? Come on. Wow, our hot water tank went out a couple weeks ago and that was like, oh, this is an emergency. 
we're dropping everything. I'm going to go get a new hot water tank and we're going to install it and this has got to happen now because that's a big deal. We don't worry about how we're going to fry our eggs or cook our toast in the toaster, but, but every one of those things requires a little effort on our part, but the power that comes to bear produces such great things through the whole house. In the same way, we have to put forth effort, but the real work will be done by God through us. Ephesians 3.20 puts it this way. It says, now to him, I love this. I just, I love this verse. It's one of my faves. To him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. Immeasurably more according to his power. And we might just stop there and just think, oh God, that's just wonderful. Go for it. But I'm going to tell you right now, if we aren't asking if we aren't using our spiritually uh, redeemed imaginations, th this, there's nothing happening here. God's power isn't here. There's nothing wrong with God's power. There's nothing wrong with His ability. He is able to do more. But if we don't ask, if we don't imagine the greatness of God in our homes, and in our church, in our community... If we don't imagine our families being transformed, God isn't able to do anything. It's true. His power at work in us is a measurable power, but we have to ask. We're saved by grace. Nothing you can do to earn or deserve grace, I promise you. But we get things done in the kingdom by laboring and struggling and, the, and, and contending. And the harder we work at those things, the more God's power will work through us. This has nothing to do with your salvation, church. Nothing at all. This is about what we can do now that we are saved. You can't work to deserve salvation at all. You can't, do, you can't lift a finger for salvation. It's, a, it's just the act of believing. I believe in Jesus. He sacrificed everything for my sins. Man, that's it. So in our... Let me just go one step further with this. In our homes, we have the light switches, right? I talked about this. When I, when I t flip a light switch, very little effort is required to turn on that electric light, and it just fills the whole house with light. You know, my whole kitchen is like, boom, one little tiny switch, hardly any effort. But when I had to replace my hot water tank, I had to go into the breaker box and turn off a pretty big breaker so that I wouldn't shock the pudding out of myself trying to put that in, right? So I, I had to grab it, and bam, those breakers are hard to move, aren't they? And I had to put more effort into that. And, but yet, what that's going to do is provide hot water to the whole house. If you go to the main breaker of your house, that's a really big deal. If you've ever turned one of those off, that's like, slam! It makes a big old noise because there's so much energy involved. Can I just correlate this to the more effort we put in on our side flipping switches, the more is going to happen as a result. Because that main breaker powers the entire house. Everything's happening off of that. And if we'll put forth, and this is, I believe, what Paul is saying, to this end I labor, struggling, I'm flipping switches like crazy. With all his energy, he's giving me the power to do it, and it's going to be his power that's going to change the world. I'm struggling with all his energy that works in me and through me, and praise God. Hallelujah. Doesn't that sound good? You may say, uh, who am I that God would use me? I'm too weak. But you, you know that God's strength is made perfect in our weakness. You don't have to have a lot of strength, but just do something. 
One, one might say he's specifically looking for people who are weak. So that at the end of the day, when something great happens, nobody's going to say, well, isn't that Sal just an amazing guy? They're going to know God's an amazing God. <laughs> I know Sal. He's just not that sharp. <laughs> God's amazing. <laughs> God's amazing. <laughs> right? I don't know if you want that. If you want the glory for yourself, you need a heart check. But all I want is the glory of God. And if anything good comes out of my life, all I am, I'm just, I'm just a trigger puller. I'm just a switch thrower, right? But God is waiting for us to do those things. And the more effort and energy we put in, the greater the result that will come out of that. Philippians 2.13 puts it simply. It just says, it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. It's all about what he wants. Limitless power and potential working within us to accomplish his purposes. Wow. The struggle is real. It's a real struggle. If, we, if we'll take up the challenge, we have an opportunity to do things. It's time to flip the switch. It's time to get this motor running. Would you stand with me? Thank you for listening to Praise Center Sermon of the Week. Don't forget, for more information, visit PraiseCenterOnline.com.